It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The Slaughter Podcast will be discussing topics that some listeners may find disturbing. If you're still listening, great. Hi guys! Hey! Uh, when you're listening to this, if you listen when it comes out, I'm probably in Vietnam. Uh, yeah, and I'll probably be in the Czech Republic. <laughs> will you? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, so... Why yeah. are you making that sound like I'm lying? Like, I just picked a random country. Like, yeah. Um, yeah, so this is like a... We're going to stick it in the middle of a few weeks off. So <laughs> I'm going to be telling you the story of Richard Dad, D-A-D-D. But I don't... Like, I've called him by his first name, partly because I, he's not a bad man, but also... I didn't want to be like, and then dad did this, and then dad yeah. did that. It'd be weird. When did the daddy thing happen? It definitely wasn't a thing while we were young. What's that, daddy? Ugh. No. Surely ev- everyone finds it creepy, don't they? Surely. I mean, there's a daddy on Orange is the New Black. Do your kids say, you're, you've got the older children, do they say like, oh, daddy? What, to me? Not to you. Oh, gosh, yeah. <laughs> no. Can I get an A, daddy? Um, no, like to the, call their boyfriends daddy. Um, no, I don't <laughs> think so. Maybe but, we're really out of touch. Maybe it's not just like a boyfriend thing. Does it have to be specifically for an older boyfriend? Does it have to be a sugar daddy situation? I thought it was just a daddy, like... Ugh. I had um, a handyman the other day who reminded me so much of my dad that I kind of wanted to cry because it was like my dad was around doing all the jobs that he would probably just do. And then when I had to pay him at the end, I was like, the dream is shattered. Because also, I forgot how much my dad used to just get out of breath just like walking up the stairs or something. And this guy was like... (sighs) And then I was... just staring at the back of his head, like peeping through the the banister. (laughs) He was in the bathroom. um, (laughs) Even worse, you're creeping on him in the bathroom. no, he was in the bathroom fitting a new Lucy and I was in the, the room next door curling my hair for Gay Pride and um, I could just hear him in there and it was like my dad was back and doing like little jobs around the house and then Aww. I just wanted to be like, don't make me pay you. <laughs> just spank me till the pain goes away. <laughs> just come and live in my house and do little jobs like my dad would do. Aww. So yeah, that was kind of sad. My dad's alive and he can't do jobs around the house. <laughs> Um, but uh, yeah, now I've got older kids. They don't they don't call me Miss anymore. So I don't. I used to get called Sir a lot. <laughs> Samesies, but weirdly it was like Sir. I was like, why? So right. Anyway, Richard Dad. Um, 
dad was born on the 1st of August 1817 in Chatham in Kent. Um, his father was a chemist in his work, but he also had quite a big hobby. He enjoyed hunting for fossils. Which nice. Is, I, I reckon there's quite, there probably were quite a lot in Kent, I guess, at that time. Yeah, if you live by the beach... Yes. What else are you going to do? Fossily area. Um, so when Richard was seven years old, his mother died. Um, he was one of six siblings and he went to school at King's School in Rochester. And Richard's father, who's called Robert, met another woman and remarried. Um, but she also died by the time Richard was 14 years old. Just starting to look a little oh, bit grey and young at this point. But Is he killing them all? No, it's oh. not the case. Just bad luck. Um, so sad. Richard's father, Robert, uh, stopped Bob Dodd. <laughs> Bob Dodd, yeah. Um, stopped working as a chemist, but instead he He's called Dick Dad. Oh yeah. Dick Daddy. <laughs> doing the daddy. <laughs> so cool. You oh, brought it up. Yeah, but it's giving me the shivers. Um so he gave up his job as a chemist and he pursued a career in his dream, which was fossils. So he set up his own museum. But it quickly failed. Oh my god, he set up a museum. Well done. Yeah, but it didn't do well. Um, so yeah, then, still. yeah, he basically had to leave Kent in shame, I guess, because he moved the family to London. Well, I suppose if it was just fossils, you need a few like um, two-headed sheep skeletons. You need the you need the curiosities to really get it going. Yeah, because I mean, it would have taken a long time to get from London to Kent. You've got to have something worth that journey. Yeah, so a monkey to a fish. Like, what's that? <laughs> like, what's it, Ripley's? Yeah, I love Ripley's. Um, so uh, Richard, with his father and his family, moved to London. So, um, at school in London, um, Richard's teachers often commented on how he had an incredible artistic talent um, and so he wanted to pursue this further. Um, and his dad, when we got they got to London, um, gained a job as a carver and bronze worker. Um, so he was working it sort of in an artistic community. He had a lot of colleagues who were artists. So his dad's basically just copying him. He's like, <laughs> yeah. I like fossils. He's like, well, I've got a museum of fossils. I'm really good at drawing. Well, I'm going to be a carver. Like, so, there's some weird competitive <laughs> stuff happening here. Yeah. Well, that'll maybe explain the circumstances later on. Um, so... Um, so they offered tutoring to Richard because he was this sort of artistic talent and he just got better and better and he um, got a place at the Royal Academy of Arts in London and he joined nice. this group of artists called The Clique and uh, I like to think of them as like the original Mean Girls. Yeah. <laughs> but they um, they would like me, they would um, go around together. They like, were sort On of like... Wednesdays we wear cravats. <laughs> Um, so the group would get together in the evenings and they'd give each other artistic challenges. And it was sort okay. of stuff like painting scenes from Shakespeare plays. Now, I'm sure it was very sort of... That sounds like wholesome, nerdy fun. Well, I'm thinking of it more like Dirty Pictionary. Like, oh, it's Romeo and Ju Juliet at it on the balcony. Oh, I suppose it depends what scenes they pick. That's true. I think it was proper. I thought you meant like the landscape, like, you know, do the wood from A Midsummer Night's Dream. <laughs> no, I think, I think it was probably more along your lines. They were supposed to be like pushing each other artistically, I guess. Okay. But in my head, it's just like stick figures boning. 
Yeah, standard. Um, so in the clique, uh, I reckon it's no, it won't be that. They'll be getting pissed and they'll be sitting around in a little jerk circle, going, "Let's all paint a portrait of each other," and then laughing at them. Yeah, That's what they just like. How I mean, they who this is. <laughs> they're called the clique. It makes them sound bitchy yeah. as fuck. Yeah, like just drawing With people the they know, like, <laughs> making them look like dicks. Um, so in the clique, Richard was the leader. And then John Philip was part, um, and he later married Richard's sister. Um, and then there were some well-known artists, uh, none of which I'd heard of, but their names were blue on Wikipedia. No. Um, so there was William Powell Frith, um, Augustus Egg, which I think I have heard of somewhere because of it's a ridiculous name. I don't remember if I'd heard of Augustus Egg <laughs> and William Bell Scott. Um, so they were sort of well-known members. I don't, I mean, I think they were all getting to be, I think they were all sort of getting to be well-known in London at this point. Like, these are um, artistic people. Like, they probably go to certain cafes where, like, all the artists hang out and people are like, these are the ones to watch. So they are growing sort of in status. So Richard began exhibiting his work while he was in London um, and studying at the Academy. Um, So he included some of his Shakespeare paintings in his exhibits. Oh, nice. And they became quite famous. um, And he began to become quite well-known and he would receive commissions. So, like, he got a commission to illustrate a book. Um, There was a lord who made him... Well, didn't make him, but um, a lord who he painted um, paintings on the walls of his house... Like inside, but yeah, as a status thing, like oh, I got this new up and coming artist to do a mural for me, that kind of thing. So in July 1842, Sir Thomas Phillips asked Richard to accompany him on an expedition through Europe. So this was a massive opportunity. So basically, what they were going to do is travel to Europe, then go to Turkey, and then to Syria and to Egypt. And the Victorians at this point were getting a little bit intrigued. There was sort of this obsession with. Egypt and the pyramids and the majesty um so it was gonna be a free trip for him as an artist for Richard um but all he would need to do to sort of pay his way was draw the different places that they were going to yeah so imagine that I mean a round the world tour organized sorted paid for by someone else just do a few doodles and probably a few blowjobs as well but that sounds good I've become well I wouldn't say I've become obsessed, but one of the things that I regularly do is like I'll have a place that I put on my weather app and I just constantly refer to how hot it is there. <laughs> so at the minute, or like about three times a day, I'm just saying to him, guess how hot it is in Aleppo. <laughs> <laughs> it's so hot in Aleppo, you know. Where's Aleppo? Isn't it? It's in Syria. Is it? Because I think after your, you did the refugee ration challenge, I was thinking about the refugees. It's like, I wonder how hot it is where they come from. And then um, it's like 30 degrees there whoa uh, yeah i only just today i added um vietnam to my weather up rain <laughs> yeah the entire week i'm there <laughs> I, I look at my weather up all the time i'm like if we were still in hamburg it would be <laughs> <Yeah>. cold now <laughs> so, no two days after i get back i'm like delete i do not need to see oh, what it's you? like in Porto anymore <laughs> no i just like i think that's the main my main conversations with tom is if we were still in here, this is what it'd be like. And it stresses me out because sometimes it'll accidentally load up the other place and I'm like, oh, the weather's looking off. Yeah. Like I get all excited and then I realise that I live in England. Um, so, however, so this tie, this trip was not as kind of picturesque as you first thought because um, Sir Thomas Phillips, he seemed more of one of those travellers who's like, yeah, I've done this place. 
move on. He wasn't like luxuriating. Oh, he's he not giving enjoying. him time to draw it. Yeah, exactly. It's it takes a long time. time to do his draw. It's not like he's got pictures to reference. So he filled like a sketchbook of drawings, but he wasn't. Like, I, th- I think he thought he'd, oh, we'd have a few weeks here, we'd have a few weeks there, we'd go for walks, we'd go and look around. And I think it was very much like, yeah, we've been here, we spent a night here. Draw the hotel room, let's fuck off. Basically, like, my honeymoon was <laughs> like, <laughs> every day's a travel day. Um, uh, so Richard, at first, like, they got to Cairo, and, uh, and he loved Cairo. Um, they spent a bit more time there, because that was the reason they'd gone. And they went on a boat trip up the Nile, and... Um, on this boat trip, he began to become delusional and violent, and he started to have these weird beliefs. So these delusions—that just sounds like week three of any group holiday. I mean, <laughs> at this point, it's been I think eight months or so with this one guy. So. Yeah, it always happens if you go on a long uh-huh. holiday with one person. You're going to get to the delusion week. Yeah. So he um, he believed that everything was being controlled. I did see a boat tour for 20 euros. <laughs> I did. I think we only fell out twice in Florida. I think we did all right. Yeah, I think we did okay. <laughs> so, uh, like, he believed that things were being controlled by an Egyptian god. And yeah. um, his fellow travellers, I think they thought he had heat stroke um, at first. But this carried on and carried on. Um, he became really fixated on religion and the devil and he was convinced he'd seen the devil and he said that she looked like, well, the devil was an old English lady in a lavender dress. Which I Maggie think Smith. Accurate. Um, so he'd also tried to attack the Pope when they'd been in Rome what? as well on the way back. <laughs> so oh, so it wasn't like a brief period. Like he this went ongoing. Like they were, let's get home, but... Everywhere they oh stay, he's this these delusions. He tried to attack a rock and you to the boat because they're quite well known. He's with this like sir or lord, um, sir. So, I mean, they're going to fancy places, and then he's just sort of on a psychotic yeah. break while he's there. So, when they returned to England, um, from this, it was after a year now, so they'd had a year long trip, it's the next year. Um, he's still hearing voices and he's still obsessed with the devil. And um, he moves back to his house in London, but he's unable to look after himself. So he starts living off boiled eggs and ale, which I worked with a history teacher that was... I mean, he he bought the pre-boiled eggs. It wasn't even... It wasn't even boiling his own. Old, That's egg. terrible. It's like you're getting constipated from the eggs and then you're getting that alcohol shits from the beer. That is not a fun digestive system. <laughs> no. And, and um, it's likely that there was some sort of genetic link here as well because Richard's brother George and I think another sibling as well were also at the same time having um, showing signs of mental disorder um, and mental health issues. And there is evidence of a genetic link to schizophrenia that runs in families or even bipolar. Like a lot of mental health disorders do. I blame the eggs. Have evidence. I lost it on the keto diet. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, it could be that they, they share what's called candidate genes, which are sort of genes right. that are linked to a disorder. And it could be, I mean, there's 230 for schizophrenia, I think. So, the, the multiple genes that could be. Is it one of those things where they'll have the gene, they'll have a predisposition to it, but it takes something yeah. that, to trigger it, like extreme heat exhaustion in a foreign country for months? Yeah, so like, according to the diathesis stress model. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so like, yeah, so if you've got... Um, so had he not gone on that trip, potentially, yeah, he might the, not have... 
it's the stress or yeah. i mean if we define stress as sort of a change in events that causes negative effects which is kind of the proper version yeah it's so like this prolonged tiredness could have been his version of stress mm. that resulted in the diagnosis yeah mm-hmm. absolutely so um robert the father did not publicly acknowledge that his son was having difficulties and remember richard is a well-known public figure at this point so mm. people are talking about him um yeah he's the pope puncher yeah <laughs> so he but he did um on the slide take his son to see a doctor and his son was diagnosed with non-compos mentis which basically means not being of sound yeah mind. that just means he's insane yeah he's not all there basically um so uh he... that's not a diagnosis that is literally just latin for batshit crazy <laughs> yeah. they've done nothing there oh it appears he's non-compos mentis like you say that about anyone <laughs> yeah but this is the 1800s they don't I understand <laughs> um so robert wanted to give his son the best chance of recovery so i think if he was a woman it'd have been hysteria <laughs> exactly <laughs> so he traveled with um richard so robert and richard father and son went back to cobham in kent where they were originally from to get away from the big city he wanted to give him some get time back to, to the fossils go hold a few exactly let's put them to your ear what does the fossil sound like <laughs> do some mindfulness activities like what does it what would the fossil taste like if you ever to do mindfulness yeah yeah so when they arrived back it was evening so this is literally the day they get back and they had dinner at a local inn and then decided to take a short stroll in the countryside it's august so evenings are light it's still sort of nice evening sort of moonlit stroll um and as they reached a circle of elm trees richard so the son suddenly attacked his father by punching him in the head slashing his neck with a razor and then stabbed him in the chest with a five inch knife he had a lot of stuff in his pocket (laughs) so then he um started dragging his father's body towards a ravine with probably the intention of pushing him into the body into it but he didn't he just left it there um and then leaves just leaves flees travels to dover and boards a boat for france i mean clearly this is not an uh, he's delusional it's mental health it's not um you know it's not his fault this is like it's not a premeditated i wanted to murder my father this is something else so he reached france I mean, his father stuck by him when he came back from his trip yeah. and stuff, hasn't he? And moved back to Kent with him. So there's no, from what we know, there's no motive for him to have resented his father or anything. Unless yeah. it's the fact that he took him from society. I mean, because it's so long ago, it's really hard to get a lot of information about it. But, I, like, I, he was obsessed with the devil. I think he thought his father was obsessed, um, obsessed his father was possessed with the devil. So um. it was very much part of his condition. So when he gets to France, he stopped because he has blood all over him. So no when one... he gets to France, that's the first anyone <laughs> yeah. gave a shit about it. Dover Ferry, no one gives a shit. But in France, that's when they're like, oh, uh-huh. so I'm not going to do that. <laughs> so when he gets to France, that's when they're like, this is kind of weird. They release him, allow him to change his clothes. Um, and then he boards a train to Paris. I mean, he could like if he'd had blood on him ever since he left England, he could have just been like, "I ate a cow." I don't know. Like, <laughs> it could have been any number of reasons. Yeah, I mean, nosebleed. It's tomato soup. You don't know. It's been weeks. Cut. Yeah. Um, I'm sure. Like, not everyone's looking. I'm just a dirty yeah. scrubber. You don't know me. You don't know my life. <laughs> yeah. 
So he's allowed to change his clothes. I don't know where he gets clothes from, but um, and then he gets on this train to Paris, and then during that train journey towards Paris, he attacks a fellow passenger. So he, this passenger is another tourist from England on the way to Paris. Um, he pulled out his razor oh again. God, he kept that. Um, I tried to slash the passenger, but others in the cabin grabbed him, restrained him. Obviously, it's a busy cabin. Someone's mm. going to step in. And then they um, turn him over to the police. So the police send him back to England. Um, and he is immediately hospitalised back in England at the hospital known as um, Bethlehem or Bedlam. Bedlam's the official name, but it yeah, was known was as say. Bedlam. The saying, oh my God, it's Bedlam in there, that comes from the hospital. So the hospital came first and then the saying, oh my God, that is Bedlam, um, for meaning like it's chaotic, there's uproar, comes from this hospital. So you yeah. can imagine the kind of hospital it is. But it is very much a psychiatric hospital. So, um, they also search Richard's house. Uh, They discover his ale and his boiled eggs everywhere. Um, But they also find some pictures of his friends that he's drawn with slashed throats. I told you it would just be like shitty pictures of his friends. (laughs) That would be the game. You just turn it around like, this is what's going to happen to you. Um, and then in his pocket, Richard had also had a list of people who must die with his father's name at the top of the list. Clearly he wasn't well. So he remained at Bethlehem Hospital until July 1964. Maybe he was like touching tombs in Egypt. There's so many stories from the eight, like mm. later when people were like going around touching the pharaoh's stuff, getting cursed. I bet there's a conspiracy theory in there. Yeah. yeah. Um, so he remained at, uh-huh. <laughs> remained at Bethlehem Hospital until 1964, so about 20 oh, years. Whoa! Um, 1964? Oh, 18. Oh no, wait, 18. It must be 1864. That's like he's 150 years old! <laughs> 1864. It must be, yeah. Because no, in 1864 he moved to Broadmoor. Yeah, so 1864. Uh, 120, no, 20 years. Um, and he would he painted at hospital and he produced quite a lot of famous paintings. I like bet he, he did some of those button art. Yeah, they love making people in like hospitals do button art. What like literally like just pictures, glue just buttons. yeah, gluing buttons to make pictures with. That's because buttons are round and can't be used to attack anyone. Yeah, <laughs> there's nothing pointy <laughs> about a paper. button. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Um, and then in 1864 he moved to Broadmoor and he did another 22 years there. So he was incarcerated i mean i guess hospitalized for so 42 years um and then he died of something lung related in uh 1860 1886 so that is richard dad okay hey it's ryan reynolds and i'm here with keith co-star of my upcoming film if only in theaters may 17th do you want to tell people the big news all right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. 
Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Well, this is irritatingly similar. Oh, shit. This week's episode is sponsored by Victorian artists <laughs> fleeing to Paris. Oh, shit. Murdering family members. Oh, shit. It's pretty much exactly the That's same weird. story. What did you type into Google? <laughs> <laughs> so, if um, you're one of those people that likes to fall asleep to a podcast, like set the sleep timer now because <laughs> you know how it's going to go. So, I'm going to tell you about Thomas Griffith's Wainwright. So, it is very similar time, but he's a very similar story, but just maybe he was the predecessor to Dick Dad. So, he was, it, like, your guy was making the clique in, like, 1840s. Yeah. Whereas Thomas Wainwright, he had his own, like, little arty clique in, like, the 1820s. So, he's the original Mean Girls. He is the original Mean Girls. Um, he's the original dandy. Thomas was the son of Thomas Wainwright Sr. and Anne Griffiths. Um, so his parents had married at the displeasure of Anne's parents and they'd given birth to their son Thomas in October of 1794. Um, but tragically, Thomas's mother died during sure. the birth and his father <laughs> died shortly after. Oh. Um, so the orphan baby was taken in by his grandfather uh, Anne's father, and he was called Dr. Ralph Griffiths. Now, this name carried a lot of weight in the literary and art world at the time because he was the founder of a magazine called The Monthly Review, which was like the final word in art criticism, like culture criticism. Mm. Um, so they moved in very literary circles. He knew a lot of people. Um, their family were in contact with some of the finest minds of the time. That is quite a cool job for like a family member because you get to. Because it's not like yeah, not super because famous. Daniel Radcliffe. I watched his Who Do You Think You Are? And I was always like, I remember when they were doing the auditions for the Harry Potter films, because they're like, if you're 11 and you want to be in a Harry Potter film, audition now. But his mum is like a casting agent, and oh. his dad is like a literary critic or some shit. I was like, he knew people. 
Yeah. Don't pretend. Course. And he always tries to pretend that he wasn't in David Copperfield before he was in Harry Potter as a child. He's like, oh, I just went into film. No, you were in David Copperfield. I saw it. <laughs> Stop trying to pretend that you didn't already have a film career and you Shit. were just a nobody. We've... You were in that film a lot. He was in that <laughs> film a lot. We've got uh, some uh, real uh, anger there. <laughs> I just always wanted to be Hermione. I was the right age. I had the look. Anyway. <laughs> right. Um, so Thomas Wainwright has been brought up in this like really bohemian, but also still quite aristocratic. Like it was that nice yeah. mix yeah. of we're wealthy, but also we're not as restricted. Like yeah, we're like kind of cool wealthy. Yeah. Um, and they lived in this fabulous um, estate, and it was called the house was called Linden House. Um, this house was pulled down in the mid nineteenth century, but drawings of the time show it as being like a gorgeous Georgian stately Aww. home it was wonderful Thomas similar to old Dick Dad he was f- a fairly talented artist himself and so he was sent to Greenwich Academy and during his school years unfortunately his grandfather also passed away um, oh, shit. so he ended up this being is ca- like a Graham Young yeah well he again I don't think he was involved in these deaths but he was then cared for by his uncle George Griffiths who inherited Linden House and lived there so his lifestyle stayed um, probably better than it would have been had he been with his he's parents he's lucky he's got so many family members Upon leaving school, so his connections to the Linden House and things, they enabled him to continue mixing in artistic circles. Um, he was known to be like a friend of Wordsworth, of William wow. Blake. Like, he knew the people. And he seemed to prefer the lifestyle of an artist, though, to actually producing his own art. He was said to have had an apprenticeship to a painter, and like the product of which was he did quite an unflattering portrait of Lord Byron. But um, who would have actually sat for him? So he knew, like everyone. But he didn't really love it. I love how yours. My story has got some names of people that I'm not really sure who they are, and you've got fucking Blake and Wordsworth. I know, clang on those. <laughs> it's like when you go out and some you've got a little story about something, and you tell it, and then they're like, "Well, my story," and then they just tell the amped up version of how people. they're so much better than you. So. He ended up leaving his apprenticeship to go and join the guards in the military. Um, But his upbringing had obviously ill-prepared him for a strict military life, and he ended up quitting after just one year. I thought you were going to say one day then. Well, I don't know if he lasted the year, but no doubt there was deafening I told you so is from everyone who knew him. So on leaving, he began to try his hand at almost all artistic pursuits, um, and he did have some minor success as an art journalist. Um, he was a regular contributor to London Magazine in the early 1820s, and his pieces were often published under pseudonyms, uh, which were lovely. One of my favourites was Janus Weathercock. <laughs> Another good one was Van Vinkrooms. Vinkrooms. These are not names. This is just yeah. like I'll call my. I've written a piece. It's by Blum Blum Floopy Ploop. <laughs> That's basically what he's doing. Um, but his style was well received, and he was very much a darling of the art world. People liked his sort of. He was like a breath of fresh air because he was just saying it in like a young, sort of very much it is what it is kind of way. Yeah. There was actually Oscar Wilde. <laughs> clang. He uh, <laughs> Oscar Wilde wrote a piece about Thomas Wainwright. It's quite a short piece. You can read it called 
pen, pencil and poison, a study in green. He wrote it about 40 years after Thomas Wainwright um, died, but he did describe him at the time and what he was like. Um, he was thought to have, his white hands were bespangled with regal rings and he had the conversation of a smart, lively, heartless, voluptuous coxcomb. Oh, hello. He's like a dandy. And Oscar himself actually said um, he was determined to startle the town as a dandy. And his beautiful rings, his antique cameo breastpin, and his pale lemon kid gloves. I mean, can you imagine how, like, lemon gloves? Like, yeah, no, I It's a look. It's a strong look. His rich curly hair, fine eyes, and exquisite white hands gave him the dangerous and delightful distinction of being different from others. I think that's a bit yeah. of an Oscar Wilde yeah, wink to that one. Guy. Yeah, I mean the white hands are a big deal. <laughs> I guess because it means you do nothing with your time. Oh, okay. And he always wore gloves, so never got any sunlight on those little white. I mean, it sounds horrific. I, I think Oscar. Can you imagine just some little yeah. clammy, pale, yeah, it droopy fingers? Cute, I'm not a fan. But... but that's what people liked about him. He was very vain, very fashionable, but also. Yeah, so that was his thing. So he was also known to be quite effeminate, and it said that he would speak in a voice that was no louder than a whisper at all times. I met a guy like that. Um, I went to this, like, it was like a smoothie shop, but they did, like, it felt like breakfast. It was like a bowl of things that would normally be in a smoothie, but not quite liquidized yeah. <laughs> with some oats. But um, the a guy deconstructed was, smoothie. The guy was literally, like, whispering. I'm like, like... And uh, would you like that uh, dairy or non-dairy? <laughs> we were like, what? Like, this is not the job for you. He's so quiet, but so sweet with it. I can just imagine this art critic that he'll be like putting his little dainty white hands on you and be like, darling, <laughs> the latest Titian. I don't know how when Titian was. It's probably all done by then. Anyway. Um, so he also exhibited some of his own work at the Royal Academy um, but despite the relative praise and success that he received um, Thomas Wainwright was not able to manage his finances so well uh, when his granddad had died he'd put some money in trust for him and he was given an allowance each year of £200 um, but this wasn't equal to the lavish lifestyle and expensive tastes that he had become accustomed to so in 1821 Wainwright had married a woman called Eliza Francis Ward um, but she wasn't bringing any real money of her own to the partnership so now he had to support her as well and the finances were becoming more and more of an issue so by 1926, Wainwright um, forged the signatures of the trustees who were holding the inheritance from his grandfather, um, which enabled him to take out a £2,000 loan against this Whoa. money. Just, I think he had to forge several signatures. Um, but such drastic measures still didn't solve his money worries because this was used to either pay off existing debts or he spent it on maintaining his image of wealth in society. And it was just a short-term solution to what was a growing problem. He was just getting further and further in trouble. So in a couple of years later, 1928, Wainwright was desperate enough to swallow his pride and he asked his Uncle George if he and his wife would be permitted to come and live with him back at Linden House. Um, so his uncle had brought him up for the majority of his life and agreed to help him out in his hour of need. Now, this obviously could have been a great opportunity for Wainwright to get back on his feet and sort himself out, 
but then we wouldn't have much of a story. <laughs> so he continued to spend his allowance on clothes, jewellery, going out, and it wasn't long till he was completely up to his eyeballs in debt again. So, uh, not too many months after they'd begun this whole new living arrangement, Wainwright's uncle George fell ill. Um, it wasn't obvious what had caused the illness, um, but after a few painful days, he was dead. Silver lining to this, of course, is that Wainwright then inherited the Linden house and was also given a sum of money that he could go and pay off some debts with. So he's back afloat again. But the couple still needed help. So in 1830, Wainwright asked his mother-in-law, Ellen Abercrombie, to move into Linden House with them. She agreed and she came with Eliza's two half-sisters, Helen and Madeline. Um, and it's thought that Wainwright began some sort of campaign of persuasion to try and get Eliza's mother to change her will so that she was the main beneficiary yeah, if she died. Yeah, I was going to say, is, is he because he wouldn't be a beneficiary, but I guess... Yeah. She, so she'd be one of three. Yeah, he was trying daughter. to get his wife's name to be like, she was going to get the most of it. But Helen was the oldest of the daughters from this other marriage. And because she wasn't married yet, she was still really young. Mrs. Abercrombie could not be persuaded to change the will. Which seems fair. Why would you give your married daughter with, who's living in this home that can provide for all of us the money and not this other, yeah, my the, other young daughter who's not yet settled? Yeah. So that couldn't happen. But yeah, because she's less likely to get a husband if she's got no money to come to her. Exactly. Um, but if this caused any unpleasantness or arguments amongst the family, it wasn't going to last long, because in August of that same year that they'd moved in, Mrs Abercrombie was also struck by a sudden illness that, similarly to Uncle George, proved fatal. Um, this didn't cause any suspicion in itself, because... Wait, Thomas Wainwright didn't stand to gain anything yeah. from her death. But what it did mean was that then Helen now had the money. Yeah. And she was able. And she's still living in their house. Still living in their house. So Wainwright took like a like a little chess move, moved the mother out of the way, and then took out an £18,000 life insurance policy on 20-year-old <sighs> Helen. Fuck. That a huge sum. He was going to, like, this is going to be the scam to end all scams. I still don't understand these life insurance policies that they were just taking out willy-nilly. Yeah. Because what, what's in it for the insurance policy? Is it just that you're paying every month? Well, exactly. And for Helen, she's so young and so healthy that, yes, yeah, sure, give, we'll give you 18000 because he should have been paying that every month for the next 60 years. Yeah. Like, it, did, it wasn't a risk to them. Um. So 10 months, though, after this insurance policy was taken out, Helen was also a victim of the mystery illness that seemed to come upon Linden oh, House. she was. So by now, this was suspicious, and the insurance company yeah. refused to pay out anything. Well, I would. Like, that's clearly... Especially for such a huge amount, he's not paid anything in. Yeah, he hasn't insured the other sister. She's the one who died. It's so obvious. Um, but Wainwright was like, needed it. So he tried to take them to court and force them to pay money on the claim. But by now, more and more people were talking and making assumptions and basically saying, yeah, he's probably poisoned everyone. And it was yeah. becoming gossip. So 
He wasn't entirely stupid. Wainwright could see that the writing was on the wall and he fled to France. Um, He managed to settle there, actually, for a number of years following his escape. He went to Boulogne. Um, although he didn't manage to keep his nose entirely clean, he spent six months in prison in Paris for fraud. And he was suspected of a murder as well. Just, oh, just, you know, oh, I've been I've got suspected of a few murders. It was all fine. Uh, basically, a gentleman that Wainwright was lodging with suddenly yeah, all died. Right, lodging with. Of course, Wainwright had taken out a life insurance policy on his host oh. worth 3000 Um but he was arrested for the suspicion of the murder and he was even found to have strychnine on his person, which we've talked about before. It was a common um, substance. It was found in like lots of small, small, small doses was basically a medicine for all yeah. sorts. Cleaning products, everything. Very similar to arsenic. It was just used in so much stuff. Um, so he did have it on him. He did have fatal amounts on him, but it can just be argued away as being for so many everyday things yeah but historians now are seeing that it was almost certainly strychnine that he was using it's colorless odorless put it in food no one's gonna know yeah um then in 1837 so he'd been away for about six years wainwright decided to try and return to his life in london now some people say that this is possibly because he'd gotten away with this murder he was felt a bit more confident about it. Um, Oscar Wilde was convinced that it m- was because he loved a woman. She must have been beautiful for him to risk his life like this. She probably didn't love him back. I think <laughs> it's pure speculation. There was no evidence of a woman. Oscar Wilde is loving the drama. Yeah, he was like, oh my God, he, the only reason... Oscar Wilde loved this guy. Like, if you read the essay, it's, it will take you probably about 15 minutes it's all about how he doesn't blame him. How could, like, in the, he's like saying that basically an artistic person acts for different purposes to other people. <laughs> uh, he has different value. He's so just too artistic. And he's like, if this was a few centuries earlier, before the moral police, these artistic passions wouldn't have even been punished. Like, he <laughs> loves him. He but just, he's, but he's got nothing. I mean, it's his version of Bloody Love Island, isn't it? Like, yeah. It comes with loads of drama and gossip. Brilliant. He, hours of evening that. conversations filled. And so he wasn't... So when he returned to England, um, obviously there was still all this suspicion about the deaths of his family members, but he wasn't charged with the murders. There wasn't much evidence that they could charge him with, but he was widely being known as Wainwright the Poisoner. Yeah. He couldn't really go anywhere. Um, so he sort of went into hiding a bit. He wasn't out in society. And the police were trying to pin him for something. So eventually they decided to charge him with counts of fraud. In particular, he was arrested and charged with the fraud from 1826 where he'd forged the trustee's signatures on his grandfather's money. <laughs> I'll go back to Oscar Wilde. He tells... Um, in his version, said that he was holed up in a room with the curtains closed. And when he'd heard some noises in the street, he'd gone... It was because of, quote, his artistic interest in modern life that led him to open the curtains and accidentally reveal himself to people. <laughs> so basically, because he was a nosy-ass peep, he <laughs> opened the curtains to see, ooh, what's going on here? And someone spotted him and said, oh, that's Wainwright the Poisoner. But if a while, it's, he just had such an artistic interest oh in other God. people. How could he not open the curtains? 
Yeah. Crazy. Um, <laughs> so, um, he had various charges of fraud then, and he was going to... Some of them carried a capital charge. So, originally, he had pled not guilty, and then he decided if he pled guilty to the fraud charges that didn't carry a capital sentence, then he might have more chance of just being given a, a lighter sentence and not right. being killed. So he pleaded guilty at the Old Bailey on the 6th of July, 1837. And he was sentenced to transportation for life. Um, I'm sure people know about transportation, that he would be sent off to Australia, that sort of area. He was sent to what was called Van Diemen's Land, um, which is now Tasmania. And Oscar says, to a man of his culture, this was a form of death. (laughs) It was basically a death sentence for him, having to put up with these peasants. (laughs) Um, So he arrived there in November of 1837, and he was forced to seek employment as a labourer. Can you imagine these little lemon gloves and pasty hands? Um, But he did still continue to dabble in art, and he has some of his commissioned portraits uh, still surviving in collections today. But he died of an apoplexy on August 17th, 1847, at age 53. Um, some other little bits from his story was um, it's said that while he was being remanded before being sent to Tasmania, Charles Dickens went on a visit of the prison um, just to like have a little look around. And he saw Thomas Wainwright and spoke to him and that inspired him to write basically this one of his n- little novelettes called Hunted Down, which isn't one that... I'm particularly familiar with, but it's basically Mm. this story of Thomas Wainwright. Um, Also, one of the more famous um, things that people, when they hear a little bit of this story, is that apparently in this visit, they were chatting to him about what he'd been up to, and someone asked him outright, what about Helen? Did you kill her? And apparently, according to legend and Oscar Wilde, um, he responded that he had... But she had very thick ankles, as if like that was the reason why he'd killed her. But then now people are saying that that was probably just made up by the publisher to try and sell Oscar Wilde's, you know, his outrageous writings. Yeah. Um, but do you know what? I might believe that he did, knowing like how much of a dandy he was. Like maybe as a joke, like oh yes, but darling, her clothes were a crime <laughs> against fashion. I've got thick ankles and it's not cute. <laughs> um, I was trying to take a photo of my Birkenstocks for Instagram. I was like, oh God, I look like a 90-year-old woman. Birkenstocks don't make your ankles look any better no, though. No, they are not flattering. Well, um, that so fucked my story in the ass. I don't know that it did. <laughs> it's got a lot more... Uh... It's the same story. Let's well, kill people yeah. and run away to France. That's true. Let's do paintings and then kill people and <laughs> run to France. Yours had like obsessed with the devil and he tried to attack the Pope. That's true. Yeah, he did punch the Pope. Well, try and punch the Pope. So thanks for listening, guys. Um, yeah, we're gonna be in t- like we'll be around in a bit, but um, <coughs> don't delete our podcast. But it is the summer, so um, yeah. If you could uh, keep on tweeting us though at Slaughter the Pod on Twitter, you can email us Slaughter the Podcast at gmail.com. You can join the Facebook group. See if you can work out any more about the story I did last week with the postman. I think a few people have been um, intrigued by that one. We've had a few like tweets and things saying I really want to know more. Um, we're on Instagram, Lucy Emma Slaughter. Uh, I'll just post more pictures of food. Look and at her feet and fruit <laughs> <laughs> yeah 
Uh, thanks for listening and have a good summer, guys. Bye. Bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.